Hey, if you have a Bible, the book of Ruth, chapter 2, is where we're going to be. And we'll put it up on the screen. And if you need a Bible back at your place, we've got Bibles around the room. Grab one of those and bring it home. And then the church has an app. And you can go to the app, download that if you don't have it. And uh, you can uh, have a Bible right there. And so we're going to be in Ruth, chapter 2. Who's ready to read some Nicholas Sparks this morning? Uh, that's, that's basically what's going to happen. Uh, so, so good. And in fact, we get the inventor of the love story, God himself giving us uh, among his best love stories uh, today as we uh, continue on in the book of Ruth and chapter 2. Just a great little Old Testament book, just a, a, a good love story. And this story is loaded with all kinds of truths that we can apply uh, directly to our lives. And so we've been following just an ordinary group of, of people, and, and we've been seeing how God has just been deeply involved in their lives. And they experience things like things that we experience, financial struggle and hunger and death and a cross-country move and, and seeking to find friends and marriage and busted up families and pain and anger and religion and love and, and romance and, and risk. And, and yet through it all, we're seeing that God is involved in their story. And what I want you to leave every single week being reminded of is that God is also deeply involved in your story. And so here's the bottom line today. Can I just give that to you up front? The bottom line today is God is in the details. In fact, can we say that together? Count of three. One, two, three. God is in the details. God is writing a story. He's writing the story of your life. And for so many of us, we can't see past chapter two right now all the way into chapter four. But something's coming and God is moving and God is taking our broken mess and he's making something beautiful of it. And so hold on, hold on, hold on and trust God. So for those of you guys who missed a week or maybe need a review, let me just kind of recap what we've been seeing in the book of, of Judges. We're in the, peri- or the book of Ruth. We're in the period of the Judges. It's this, this wicked period, probably the most wicked period in the history of the people of Israel, God's people. And so what God does is, is he allows famine to come on this people. Sometimes God allows us to go through a little bit of pain to, to get our attention. And so famine is on this people and it's a very tough economic time and, and they can't feed and provide for their family. And so in the midst of that setting, rebellion and famine, uh, we meet this, this family from Bethlehem. That's where Jesus would eventually uh, be born. And, and we meet this, this husband, this, this father, uh, this, uh, this guy named Elimelech who makes a really bad decision. And his decision right at the start of the book is to move his family from Bethlehem, the house of bread, where they're not really seeing any bread because they're in rebellion to God. And he moves them from Bethlehem all the way to Moab, really what he was doing was he was running from God. He, rather than repenting and, and then receiving the blessing from God again, he, he, he runs from God and runs to, to Moab where they worshiped a false god named Chemosh. And in so doing, he puts his family in this really ridiculous scenario. It was a bad decision to, to move your family to a place where you're going to be likely the only God-fearing, Yahweh God-fearing, worshiping family. And so they go there, and instead of getting fat and happy, Elimelech dies, and his two sons go on to marry Moabite women, which is a bad idea, but they didn't really have any other options in in front of them, and then his sons die. And Elimelech's wife, her name is Naomi, 
is left behind in this foreign land with her two married-in daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And Naomi is absolutely devastated. She has lost her homeland. She has lost her husband. She has lost her two sons. And she is lonely in this foreign land. And, And again, possibly the only person who loves Yahweh God. So she is by herself without that rich kind of community that we know that church can provide for you. And yet while in the fields, she starts to hear murmurs that that the famine is being lifted back in Bethlehem and God is providing for them in that way uh, once again. And so she decides it's time for me to go back. God is blessing. It's been 10 years. It's it's time for me to to go back. And so she starts to head back, her and her daughters-in-law. And while they're en route heading back to, to Bethlehem, she realizes, I have nothing for these girls back in Bethlehem. Like, I've lost everything. Life for Moabite women in Bethlehem would not be good. It would be incredibly tough. They can go back. They can probably get remarried again. And so she turns and tells these girls, just, girls, go back. Just, just go back. And so Orpah, one of her daughters-in-law, says, okay, sounds, sounds like a plan. And she goes back. She goes back, and she heads back to, to Moab. She's kind of like the Christian who, 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 who trusts God, follows God, but then when the times get tough and, and it doesn't quite make sense on the other side, they throw in the towel and they, they turn back and go back to their old way. Examine yourself. We should always examine ourselves and make sure that that isn't us. Some of you have been tested and bailed. Others of you have not quite been tested yet. And if you are tested, you might bail and you need to examine your heart. Don't be an Orpah. And then there's, there's Ruth on the other hand. And when Naomi says, girls, go back, Orpah says, okay, see you later. Ruth says, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not going back. In fact, what she does is she converts. And she says, I'm going to Bethlehem. And, and, and in verse 16 of chapter 1, she says to her mother-in-law, your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. This is her conversion from worshiping Chemosh to now I'm going to worship Yahweh God, the one true God. And she commits to, to follow God and to be there with and for Naomi. And you'll see throughout the course of this book that God blesses her. And so now we have two widows, one old and one young, returning to Bethlehem. And these ladies are the talk of the town. See, in that day and age, when you were a widow, that meant poverty. You didn't have a system that would, would protect you. I mean, it was just really, really tough. If you didn't have a man to provide for you in that day, it was just really a difficult situation. So they were heading back to poverty. And, and so back in, in the land of Bethlehem, they get back there and people are talking. Did you know she's back? You remember her and the family? They, they lost everything. And they're, they're talking and there's a, a buzz. And so she gets back and, and Naomi says to the people, she says, don't, don't even call me Naomi anymore. Naomi means sweetheart. She says, instead, call me Mara, because Mara means bitter, because that's what I am. I'm just a bitter old woman. Life is awful, and she is frustrated. And and we're calling this series Broken Made Beautiful, because despite her bitterness and the brokenness of her family and the brokenness of her heart, God has hope in the midst of the despair. God is going to do something really, really beautiful. Again, think about shattered glass, and then God restoring it, to a beautiful mosaic, which looked better than the original condition of the glass before it was busted. Because when God remakes our lives and grace is all intermingled in our lives, it's even better than the original. It's amazing, and that's what God does. And so what we see 
through this book is this major theme of God's providence. That God, his providential hand is moving in our lives. That God is faithful. And we're going to see God's providence shine through in their lives uh, this morning. And so that's chapter 1. Let's pick up now in, in, in chapter 2. Ladies, this is where it starts to get good for you. It's a little juicy. It's a little bit romantic. This is where the Cinderella story begins and nobody gets a big break. This is where Ruth meets a walk to remember. And which, by the way, I tried to sit through that movie with my wife. I tried to be a good husband. And I, I think we tried it three different times. We even owned the movie and I fell asleep every single time. And so I, I think it's a good movie. Um, but yeah, this is Walk to remember uh, it's it's a good story God is good and we have uh, the cool guy in the world's eyes falling in love with the nobody in the world's eyes and so grab your tissues this should be good fellas there's something for you too in this this chapter we're going to start to see just a picture of true masculinity Uh, you might want to take notes how to win the heart of a girl the appropriate way God's way and so uh, take notes and uh, this is this is really really good we got a lot of ground to cover Ruth chapter 2 verse 1 here's what it says it says now Naomi had a relative of her husband's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz and so we are introduced to the man of our story. Uh, he is a relative of Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech, and his name is Boaz. This sounds good, doesn't it? That's a strong name, Boaz. And it says that he's, he's a worthy man, which means he, he, he's worthy of respect. He's worthy of trust. He, he, he's worthy of imitation. This guy is a, is a guy that we should seek to be like Boaz, imitate Boaz. And, and don't we need that? I think we all need that. Somebody that we can, we can look to and, and say that person is, is imitatable. Paul said, uh, imitate me and, as I imitate Jesus. And so we all need those people. It's, it's biblical to, to, to say, I want to I try to be like that, that person. Ultimately Jesus, but also others. And so many of us will try to be like somebody who's successful in our field of business or, or somebody who, who, who manages their money really well or, or, or somebody who's, who's famous or an athlete. We try to imitate them, but yet this guy is, is worthy of imitation both on the field and off the field. In the, the field of business and also off the field, we get a look into just some of his, his personal life through this story. It's, it's so good. And so, so far in the story, Elimelech, dud. Malon, dud. Kilion, dud. Boaz, stud. It's, it's good. Here we are. His name means strength. It means mighty one. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great guy. And he's rich, ladies, just saying. So uh, in, 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 in this chapter, we see this, this worthy man, uh, successful. Just his name tells us he's a man of valor. He's, he's one we should uh, model our lives after. I like this guy a, a whole lot. And, and what's interesting, as we hear that this guy is a worthy guy, it's interesting that we also see that he's single. What's up with that? He's unmarried. Most guys his age are, are, are married. And so what's wrong with Boaz? Does he have bad breath? Is he, is he dressed like two decades behind? I mean, what's, what's, no, no. It is this major theme that we've seen. It is God's providence. God is up to something here. God is involved in the details. And he keeps him single for this time uh, for a very important reason as we begin to see unfold. God's in control and he's bringing these two lovebirds 
together. And so some of you need to realize that. You might be thinking, I'm 21 and I'm single. What's wrong with me? Does God hate me? Is this my famine of love? I mean, God is in control. Just wait. He's got a plan. Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. And no, too, let's just side note here. Singleness is a gift, the Apostle Paul says. And so many of us say, you know, I got the gift. Do I have the gift? Does that mean I'm supposed to be sing-? Don't think of it like that. Think about your period of singleness, whether it's a lifetime or a season. It's a gift. It's a gift that you can use your time to be more invested in the kingdom of God. We looked at Song of Solomon back, I believe, in the fall, and we saw that Chapter 2, verse 7, we're not to awaken love until it so desires. And so don't be in such a hurry. Utilize this season of singleness as a gift. God knows what's going on. And Boaz was very much involved in his career, but also blessing his employees as we see through this. And so he's not seeing it as a curse. He's seeing it as a gift. And he's waiting and he's working. And God is, God is up to something here. And so just trust his providential hand. Just trust, trust his, his hand. This is the guy on the cover of People magazine as Bethlehem's most eligible bachelor several decades in a row. And then they say, well, it's starting to get weird now. But uh, God's up to something. Then we have this girl, Ruth. And we start to see a little bit more of her character. We've already seen some of her character. And we start to see more of her character, but this really is the girl, when you put her up against Boaz, she really is the girl that your parents don't want you to bring home, right? She's the girl, you, she's, she, she's from a cult originally, uh, a, a wicked city, uh, she's needy, she's been married, uh, she's poor, is she mooching? I mean, this is the girl that you, your parents don't want you to bring home. This is not the one you say, hey, guess what? We got engaged when we went to Vegas. I mean, this is not her, uh, but God in his impartiality, is also teaching us something by putting two unlikely candidates uh, together. And so chapter 2, verse 2 now, read on. It says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she, Naomi, said to her, Go, my daughter. And so here's where we're at. Ruth and Naomi, are, they're, they're really hungry. As was normal, if you were a widow, uh, you would go into poverty, and that's what happened. Yes, God was blessing again, and there was food, but these ladies are back in the land, and they are in poverty. They are broke as a joke. And, and, and again, usually the man would provide, but there's no man. And so here's what happens. Ruth asks her mother-in-law, what do you think about me going and finding a field, and perhaps somebody will have favor on me and let me glean from the field. Now here's what glean means. To, to go and glean uh, basically is, is to go to a field that has already been harvested and see if you can find some leftovers to, to feed yourself. And, and it would be like you going uh, just outside the city west a little bit and finding a farm and, and, and seeing whatever's on the ground and just, just bringing it together and, and going home and, and trying to feed your loved ones off of that. This would be like turning to welfare. This would be like collecting cans on the side of the road. This would be like going to the, the soup kitchen. In fact, this was God's welfare system for the Hebrews of this day. He, he told his people, listen, everything belongs to me. Everything is, is mine. Everything is under my control ultimately. And even your land, yeah, you might have bought it, but, but I gave you the money to buy it. I provide for you. And so everything is mine. And so what I want you to do is, is as you're harvesting, if something falls to the ground, don't pick it up. Leave it on the ground. 
and also leave the edges of your field, the margin of your field, unharvested so that people who are poor, people who are widow and, and, uh, and orphans and, and immigrants and, and refugees and asylum seekers, you can have them be provided for. This is God's welfare system for the Jews. So God cares. In the Old Testament, we see this welfare system. In the New Testament, we see Jesus uh, providing and caring for particularly widows and, and orphans and, and children and, and outcasts. Listen, Christians, we cannot forget the marginalized. We cannot forget the marginalized, which is so easy in this affluential nation. And this is God's system. This is God's priority to care for them. And so Ruth says to Naomi, can I go? We've hit rock bottom. Can I go? Notice, too, that Ruth is not going to get a handout. She's going to work. Can I, can I work? I'm going to have to work and pick up and, and get what's unharvested on, on the edges. And, and, and so listen, God provides welfare, and God also encourages hard work. We handle those together, right? We, we handle those uh, both hand in hand. And so this is what she does. And Naomi says to Ruth, she says, go, my daughter, go. Ruth says, okay, I'll go. And, and, and she goes, and, and she's seeking for one with whom she might find favor. In other words, she wants to see if there's somebody who will not just let her walk through, but maybe even take her on staff or hire her. I mean, maybe this will happen. And so here's what's happening. Naomi is at home being bitter, and Ruth is stepping out in faith. And I think we all have that option, don't we, when it comes to difficult times in life? We can stay and be bitter and we can not get out of bed and we can be frustrated or we can say, you know what, I'm going to keep moving forward and I'm going to keep trusting, I'm going to keep taking steps of faith and that's exactly what Ruth does. She's a new follower of God and a lot of times those who are new in walking with Jesus are the ones who have the greatest faith, right? You seen that? Just, and I remember when I was in high school, this guy named Nick came to know Jesus and I had been a follower of Jesus for quite a while and, and he was just fired up and that fueled me and, and, and that's what often happens. She's a new follower of Jesus and she's fired up and she's got faith while the one who's been a long-standing follower of Jesus is at home being bitter. But she says, okay, go, go my daughter. And she goes, verse three. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. So that's the harvesters. She goes after them and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. So this is huge, right? I mean, this is, this is really huge. The Bible uses this kind of language on, on purpose. It says, Ruth just so happened to come across the field of Boaz. She hits the streets. She's ready with faith to, to provide for herself and her, her mother-in-law. And she comes across, I imagine, lots of field options. But the one that she chooses, the Bible uses this language on purpose, happens to be the field of Boaz, who happens to be Bethlehem's most eligible bachelor, who happens to be a close relative of her late father-in-law. And the, the, the scriptures then said it was responsibility of the closest relative to care for the widows. And so it happened See what, see what God's doing? See what God's, God's saying? He happens to be a relative of her deceased. It, he happens to be compassionate. He happens to be respectable. He happens to be worthy. He happens to be single. He happens to be loaded. He happens to look and sing like Ryan Gosselin. This is amazing, right? This is God's providential hand, the theme God's 
providence. This isn't happenstance. This isn't coincidence. This is God. Do you believe that as a Christian? There's not happenstance in God's economy. Gee golly, what happened? God is in control. He knows exactly what he's doing. James says it this way. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. We believe that God is involved in the details of our lives. Do we make decisions? We make decisions. But even in our decision making, God is somehow still in control. Do I get it? No. But I do know that God is in control and God can even use our bad decisions and turn it for good as we just sing about God is working. Story goes on, verse 4. And behold, that's one of those words that the Bible uses to get your attention. And behold, it just so happened. And then, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. So, so she happens to go to Boaz's field, and it just so happens that he's rich, and he's single, and he loves the Lord. And behold, as if to almost sarcastically say, well, what do you know? And he decides to show up. The CEO came in town that day to, to visit. And, and, and he happened to, to, to come out of his limo, and he, he, he checks things out. He's kind of checking in on the business. Coincidence? No, absolutely not. And, and, and things are coming together really beautiful. God is a, a good matchmaker. God knows what he's doing. He's in control. Now, now let's, let's read a few more verses here beginning again in verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. Has your boss ever said that to you? The Lord be with you. (laughs) We do that in our office every day. But um, the Lord be with you. Boaz says, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Just come back in unison. The Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his young man, his, his, I guess maybe his assistant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. And so she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Now, I've always hated bad sitcoms, you know. Have you ever noticed the bad sitcoms where there's like a theme for the day? And every member of the family is experiencing the same issue at the same, you know what I'm talking about? Like all the siblings got broken up with in the same episode as if that happens in real life. And so they work through it as a family. Or, or every member of the family, uh, you know, made a really bad decision. And I hate bad sitcoms and all the things. But, but this, everything's lining up together beautifully because God is in control. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's, he's working. And so Boaz rolls in gets out of his limo, checks up on the business. May the Lord be with you to my employees. Now, sounds weird to us. It's a a common greeting, and they greet back to them. It shows us that Boaz is more about his character. He is the man whose faith was seen in the workplace. Hello? Like, his faith was lived out in the the workplace, and and people knew about his faith, and it was very much a part of everything that he did. And and so he he says, may the Lord be with you. They answer back. And then he gets to one of his managers. He says, who's that that girl over there? And the manager says, it's this, this Moabite girl that came back with Naomi, the, you know, the one that everybody's gossiping about. What's, what's she doing here in this small little town of 
Bethlehem, don't make me start singing Christmas carols. And, and she asked if she could glean, and, and I said that that's fine. And she's a hard worker. She's been working from morning until now. She just took a short little rest. She's trying to make ends meet. She's trying to feed herself and, and her mother-in-law. And so we get a little bit more about the character of, of Ruth. Listen, we don't look men simply for someone who's attractive. You, sure, that's, that's important. That, that matters. But you're looking for someone with character, someone who's a hard worker, someone who's selfless, who's caring for others like like Ruth, listen, character fades or, or, or looks fade, character grows, and that's what you, you want. Now, here's the moment we've all been waiting for, or at least the ladies have been. Cue the music. Boaz and Ruth lock eyes for the first time. Cinderella meets Prince Charming. The difference is Cinderella had the chance to clean up for her meeting with Prince Charming, right? This is, this is nuts. Like, ladies, does, does Ruth look good right now? She's been working, what does it say, from morning Till this time, later in the day, she doesn't look good. She's been work. She's sweaty. She's she's dirty. Her makeup is running. I probably didn't have makeup. Her hair's all messed up. And George Clooney shows up, and you look like garbage. Like you just rolled out of the gym, and and he notices her, and he wants to speak to her, and he says to her, "Check it out, verse eight. Then Boaz said to Ruth, "Now listen, my daughter." That's his first words to her. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women and let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? I love that. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. This guy is good, right? I mean, did you catch some of this? This guy is good. He says, my daughter, do not go anywhere else. You just, you just hang out right here. Keep coming back. Let's go on a second, third, fourth date. I want to keep providing for you. And then he says to his young women, which would be his, his female uh, staff members, employees, he, he says, we want you to hang out with these ladies. And ladies care for her. And so what he's doing for this foreign lady who's come to this land is he's providing for her now friends. I've got friends for you. I've got a support system for you, these women are from Israel. God's favor is on this land again. And so apparently these people are now walking with the Lord. They know their way around. You hang out close to them. And then catch this verse 9. He says, and I've charged the young men not to touch you. <laughs> now, I don't know what this looks like, right? The, the, the ladies are hanging with her. But the young man, I told him not to touch you. Keep your hands off the new girl at work. Now, I don't know if this is him being like a father. Because he has referred to her as a daughter. And he's saying something like, hey, don't mess with her. Don't mess. Or, or is he saying, like, don't touch her as in, like, stay away. She's mine, right? I, I don't know what he's doing. He's calling first dibs or just being protective. Either way, he's looking out for her. He, he, he has great kindness for her. He's providing for her. He's helping her have friends. It's, 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 he's, he's keeping her taken care of from the jerky guys who are going to, you know, pursue the new girl at work. He's just a godly man, a protector, a provider. He's considerate of the ladies. That's chivalry. Chivalry, which is so much so dead these days. He's just a good, good man. And, and I think we can learn something from this guy, men. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 2 tells us to treat other women like sisters. And so you listen to the music that we have going right now, and man, it doesn't refer to women the way I would ever want anybody to refer to my sister. And so he's a good man who cares for this woman. In fact, men, I would encourage you 
especially single men in our room here, to look around the room and, and to bear in mind that, that God calls us to care for and to protect and to love the women in our room. Not that they need it, but that's what we're to do. We're to, to, to care for them. And, and ladies, allow guys to do this. I think modern feminism has done some, some serious good, but also some serious damage. You've been around the person who says, I'm not letting a man open the door for me. Let the man open the door for you, right? Let, let, him, let him do that. It's not that he's saying you can't open a door, obviously. He's trying to care for you. The Bible says we care for women as though they are our weaker vessel. And we hear the word weaker and we say, say what? You telling me I'm weaker? No, it's not we. Like we put our fine china on the top shelf in our dining room. And then we've got the plastic, you know, we got a big poppy cup that we got at Fenway, you know, because you can get free refills, and that's on the bottom. That's what the men are. You can smash them around a the bit, and they're all right. But the fine china, the, the priceless, valuable stuff you put up top, that's a weaker vessel. We care. We care. We cherish. That's what it is. It's not that you're less women. It's that God calls men to care for you, to, to cherish you, to honor you. Sound good? Can we do that? We can do that. We can allow ladies and men, we can, we can step up. Boaz is a good man. He treats her right. Look at verse 10, if we can. And then in verse 10, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? So he's provided for her. He's noticed her. He said, you just, you stay here. I'm going to continue to provide for you. And I, I, I joke around a little bit. I, I, I honestly don't even think that he thought he had a chance. You, you get on later in the book and he didn't think he had a chance at all. He was so surprised when she was open to, 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 to marrying this man. And so she didn't think, or he didn't think that he, he had a chance. He was just being a good man, caring for a, a, a lady who, who really was, was tremendously needy. And, and she was blown away by his grace. She was blown away by his generosity. She is so grateful. She has been through so much. And so she says to Boaz, why have you done this? Why have you treated me so well? Don't you remember? I'm from Moab. We're a wicked land compared to Israel. I'm from, I'm from Moab. And, and here, here's what we need to start to see here as we begin to round third base. We need to, we need to see the, the parallel that is, is, is made here between Boaz and Jesus. God with this story is giving us a beautiful parallel between Boaz and Jesus so that we can see that, that Boaz He's gracious and he's generous and he cares for the needy and he cares for the oppressed and those who are outside the family, he wants to bring them in. And that's exactly what Boaz is doing, right? He's caring for a needy one. He's caring for the oppressed. And those who are outside, he doesn't become ethnocentric and say, you're from Moab, stay away. He says, no, come on in. Yes, you are a part of our our, our kingdom, our, our, our people. You are of the nation of Israel now because you have said, your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. And I'm gonna treat you like family. And you are brought in and I will provide for you and I will care for you and I will protect you. And you will be a part of the family and you will have my, my female staff along with you. And, and I'm gonna protect you from the, the men who, who can be rough sometimes. And he just begins to pour out his care and his grace on this woman and that's exactly what Jesus does for us it's exactly what Jesus does for us and when Jesus does this for us what do we do we are to do what Ruth does 
we are to fall on the ground and bow and worship God. She wasn't worshiping Boaz. It was this humble uh, Eastern tradition to fall and to be, be grateful. But, but the call for us really is to genuinely, in the posture of our hearts, to fall before the Lord and say, God, your grace to me is unreal. And, and, and I don't know that we think about that. We, somehow we, we become entitled because we look around and we say, I, you know, I, I'm all right. We have nothing that is owed to us. Nothing that is owed to us. Our one single sin separates us from this infinitely holy, matchless God. And so when God displays his grace upon us, it should cause our hearts to, to fall and say, my word, God, you are so good and you are so gracious and be in awe of him. Read verse 11 with me. And then in verse 11, Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you have left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. He says, listen, I've heard all about you. I've heard about how you've lost your husband. People have been talking. I've heard about how you, you left your father and your mother and your home country and you're, you're now one of God's people. And I've heard about all the wonderful sacrifices that you have made. Yes, you could have gone back and remarried, but you decided to stick with this, this bitter woman and, and, and care for her. And, and now you're here working to provide for her. He, he's exchanging back to her. Listen, you're, you're a, an amazing woman. It's a great, beautiful exchange between these two. But then, verse 12, Boaz continues on. The Lord repay you. That's a prayer. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And the full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That's one of many prayers that are lifted up in the book of Ruth. And what you'll notice by the end of the book, God answers every single one of these prayers. Every single prayer that's lifted up is answered, that God does care for this woman. He says, may the Lord bless you and your work. May your wages be full. I pray that God provides. You have turned to the God of Israel in faith, and God, I pray that he would provide. And that's exactly what God calls us to do, is to turn in faith to the God of Israel, the God of the whole world, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to turn to him and to trust in him, and he will give you what you don't deserve, but he is good and gracious and gives us his favor should we in faith trust in him. And what's interesting is in this prayer that Boaz lifts up for her, he's saying, listen, I serve that Lord. And he says, may God use me to provide that refuge for you. See, when it comes to our prayers, our prayers are, are lifted up for probably a couple of reasons. One, because sometimes our prayers, they do move the hand of God. And other times, our prayers, by just talking to the God whose hand could be moved, changes our hearts as well. So sometimes when you pray, you're, 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 you're praying to God, and it's fixing your eyes and recalibrating your heart so that then you're the one who needs to take a step. And that's exactly what happens with Boaz. May God repay you. Oh, wait, I'm the one to answer this, this prayer. And that's exactly what he does. And Boaz is our Christ figure. And that's exactly what God does for Jesus. He says, I will answer the prayer by sending my son, Jesus, to die for you. And his death will provide your redemption because he dies in your place and he takes the brokenness and he makes it beautiful again and even more beautiful 
in his grace. That's what Jesus does for us. So that if we in faith, like Ruth, would turn to him and say, I'm needy, God would say, and I've made the way to answer your prayers of faith and and care for you. Now, look at verse 13. This is good. Verse 13. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. See, there's the hope. It's back. Life is going to get hard at times, but if you step out in faith and you trust in God and you stick with God, God sticks with you and he will provide. He will care for you. And ultimately, he provides for us the eternal provision that we need that comes through Jesus Christ. And this chapter is so much about the provision and the providence of a good God who loves you and calls you to place faith and trust in him. This is, this is our God. This is the heart of our God seen in a love story. In fact, every single story somehow points to a protagonist and points to a hero. And that's what we get in this story. We have the brokenness, the havoc that has been wreaked because of Satan and the enemy who's seeking to destroy you. And we have the healing and the hope that comes from a redeemer, ultimately Jesus. I would call all of us today, if we have never given our lives to Jesus, to trust in Jesus, the one who makes you right, who restores you and makes you whole. I would call those of us who are Christians in this room, who, who you have lost the hope, you have let your eyes drift from the one who provides and cares for you. You're stuck in chapter two and you can't even begin to think about chapter four to turn back to him and, and to resume that posture of, God, I trust you, I worship you, I need you for my marriage, perhaps, for my children, perhaps, for my finances, perhaps, for the decisions that I've made, perhaps, for the addiction, for broken relationships, whatever it is, God, I, I need you. You show yourself faithful. Wherever you're at today, I want to always call us to respond to the scripture and trust in the Lord. But here's how we want to respond today. We want to respond in a, in a, in a unique way today, a way that, that Jesus set forth uh, many, many years ago for us, and that is through communion. And we partake of communion to remember the work of Jesus on the cross, the body represented in the bread that was nailed upon the cross, and the, the juice to represent the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, that Jesus died as our substitution in our place on that cross so that if we trust in him, then his payment for sin is now the payment for our sin because he never sinned. And so it was his life for our life, his death for our death, and we can be made right with God because we look to God and say, I trust in Jesus. And so here's what we're going to do is we're going to partake of communion together as we respond. But I want, before we do that, to, to look together at one final verse Verse 14, and can we read this as we put it on the screen? It says, And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her the roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. We started out today seeing this woman trust in her Lord and step out in faith, and we end today with her eating the bread and drinking the wine with Boaz. And the call for all of us is to trust in Jesus and today to eat the bread and to drink of the, the wine that is provided for us, the table that has been set for us in the death of Jesus on the cross. And so I want to encourage you in the same fashion, we take the bread and we dip it into the juice 
representing the body of Jesus that we trust in and the blood of Jesus that we, we trust in that was nailed to the cross for us. And so maybe you do this frequently, partake of communion with us. Maybe you've never done it before. If you've never done it before, if you're trusting in Jesus right now, we invite you to come for the very first time and partake of communion. The Bible says don't take it lightly. Don't come partake of communion if you're not, in fact, one who's trusted in Jesus. But if you are, or if you're right now for the first time becoming a Christian and trusting him, come partake. And we take that bread and we dip it, just like they did here. But I want to encourage us who who do this more frequently. Can we move slower today than we normally do? We're going to sing a song, and and I would encourage you to to pray as we sing and to, to pray the words of the song. And can we just move a little slower today? Can we just take the bread as we come forward and and partake and and just remember the provision of God for us, that he provided, not some easy, oh yeah, I just have an abundant. He provided his son and he had his son nailed to a cross for you and for me. And so take it slow today and let this be a, a rich and meaningful time of just remembering the provision and the providence of God in your life. And, and maybe just remind you that God has you. He cares for you, all right? Let me pray. And we'll begin to sing. Father, you are, you are good. And we started this gathering just singing about your strength and your might. And we moved towards our struggle. And then we were reminded again about your sovereignty. That you're in the details and you know what you're doing. And now, God, we are brought to a moment where we can respond by just in a very tangible way declaring, I trust in Jesus. Not I trusted in Jesus one time years ago and became a Christian, but every day it's a choice to trust him. And so, God, you know what's going on in everybody's hearts and their lives. You know the things they need to trust you with right now. And so, God, as we partake, we just remember that you are our provider for the things of this earth, for the struggles that we face, but you're also our provider for salvation, for being saved, brought to, to new life, eternal life. So God, I pray for those who have never given their lives to Jesus. May you stir their hearts and make them new right now. A person who's, who's passed from a, another kingdom, Moab, to Israel. That's passed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light a follower of God, a follower of Jesus. Help them take some tangible steps today. God, we love you. We thank you for your provision of the cross. And we remember it and we declare it. Be honored in our hearts as we respond in communion. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.